Hi everybody, I hope you're all well. Now, I once heard a talk where the speaker said that there was something we knew about him that was very personal. And there was something that he knew about everybody listening that was central to the way that they lived their life. And that there was something that we all knew about anybody we met wherever we are in the world that was very personal and central to the way that they lived their life and what they were willing to put up with. And I thought, hang on a minute, mate. How do you know something personal about me? How do I know something personal about you? I've never met you before. You know nothing about me. And I don't even know who I'm going to meet later today or tomorrow. So how do I know something personal about him? But he then went on to say that this thing that we all knew that was personal to us was that we all want to be happy. And he said that this might look different for all of us and it might be achieved in different ways, but ultimately we all want to be happy. So I decided to ask Esther, my wife, what made her happy. Uh, and after a brief pause, she said, um, when, the, when I went to meet her mum and dad for the first time, and I know what you're thinking, um, but I could tell from the grin on her face that that is not what she meant. She didn't mean what you were thinking. What she meant was that the first time I went to meet her mum and dad, it was the run-up to Christmas, uh, and me and Esther had been into town. Uh, she'd spent my student loan on Christmas presents for herself, standard. Uh, and then her mum picked us up from town, drove us back to their house. Uh, but because it was winter time, there was ice on the floor. And as I took one step out of the car, I ended up on the floor. And the next thing I knew, I was on my back, staring up at Esther's mum, looking over me, just shaking her head. I mean, great first impression. And to be honest, that's actually a lie. What Esther actually said made her happy was watching Tom Hardy on CBeebies doing Bedtime Story. And either way, I'm not quite sure why either of those stories make her happy. But then again, we're all different, aren't we? Um, and you might be wondering why I've mentioned happiness or joy. And I do think there's a difference between the two. But it's because if I could sum up what we're going to read today in one word, that word would be joy. So here's a big statement. I think happiness is possible. Controversial, I know. But why do some people, why do so few people, sorry, have it? And I think it's probably because people seek it wrongly. Real happiness or joy that is offered in the Bible is fundamental happiness or joy. We can't find happiness in circumstances. And I think that's the difference between true happiness or joy that the Bible offers us, that we can get despite our circumstances, and temporary happiness that can only be found in our circumstances. So as a bit of a recap, we've been looking through the book of Nehemiah and we're nearly at the end now. Um, and now Nehemiah was um, a guy who was living in exile from his hometown of Jerusalem. And he finds out that the people that were still living there weren't having a great time. The walls of the city were crumbling, the gates had been set on fire, and times were bad. So Nehemiah heads back to Jerusalem with 
some others and he starts to rebuild the walls. And after a few scraps with a few locals, they finally finish the wall. Then Nehemiah teams up with this other guy called Ezra, who was a priest, and they begin another building project, but this time they rebuild the people. And they reteach them about God, um, and the people get their identity back. And this sort of leads us up to where we are um, today and the passage that we're going to look at today. So we're looking at Nehemiah 12, uh, and I want to look at verses 27 through to 43. Now, I'm going to skip through this, but I'll explain um, where I do that and where we're where we're going to pick up and, and land again. Uh, and that's mainly because there's a lot of big names in here uh, and I'm bailing out on trying to read them. So uh, let's read it and uh, and we'll, we'll see how we get on. Uh, so we're going from uh, verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs and thanksgiving and with music of cymbals, harps and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem. And if we skip down to verse 30, it says, When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right, toward the Dung Gate, Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them. And 35 says, as well as some of the priests and trumpets. Now we pick up again in, in verse 36, says, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led the procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed over the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall, together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall. Over the gate of Ephraim, the old gate, the fish gate, the Tower of Hananel, and the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Sheep Gate. At the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their place in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests. And it lists the priests. We get down into 42. It says, the choirs sang under the direction of Jezrahiah. And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. And I love in that passage how the people aren't expected to be joyful. They didn't need to be told to feel joyful. Just like when I stick a bowl of ice cream in front of my kids, I don't need to tell them to enjoy it and be joyful as they're smashing it down the face. They just enjoy it. And they're just joyful. Or in the same way when my wife um, gave birth to our children, she didn't need to tell me to be joyful. I mean, to be fair, I think she'd got some other things on her mind at the time. 
Uh, but she didn't need to tell me to be joyful. I just was. But when something gives us joy, it's like it's a natural reaction. There's no need to tell them in this passage. You need to rejoice and be joyful. They just are. They just were joyful. And you might be thinking, as I'm saying this, that you don't always feel joyful. And you might think that you should be joyful and that God wants you to be joyful. But you don't always feel joyful. So what sh what should we do? Just be do the British thing and have a stiff upper lip and just act joyful? I don't think so. And I don't think these verses tell us that. I think they give us a bit of a clue how we can experience joy or happiness. And you'll notice at the start of this passage, it's all about them giving thanks, being grateful for what God's done. And ultimately, this leads to them being filled with joy. And I think there's a link between us being grateful or thankful and being happy and joyful. You might be thinking, yeah, when you're happy or you've reached your own goal of happiness, that then you can be thankful. You know, if you set your goal on, I don't know, having a certain house or having a certain job or getting married, and you think when you reach that goal, then you can be thankful for having it. But I'm not so sure that's true. You know, we've all seen or we know of people that have everything it takes to be happy, but they're not. They achieve what they wanted, what they thought would make them happy, but they still want more. They, they just can't scratch that itch. And yet, on the other hand, there are people who have all the misfortunes of the world, and yet they're happy. And this seems strange to us, but they're happy because they're thankful. And it's not happiness that makes us thankful. It's thankfulness that brings us joy. And you might be thinking, yeah, that's great, mate, but how am I supposed to be thankful when someone close to you dies or when your relationships break down or when you lose your job? And there will be times like this for all of us. Um, and I don't like it when people say, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't feel pain or be upset because it's not true. It's not real. We shouldn't. We should express pain because we all feel it. Now, life's tough sometimes, but just because we are going through tough times, it doesn't mean we can't be thankful. And in verse 43, it says that the people rejoice with great joy. But if you look back in chapter one, it shows us that these people had been through a t proper tough time. The, the people were in great trouble. They were in disgrace. The walls were in ruin. The gates had been burned. In chapter 5, it says that there was a famine. Some of them were starving. There'd been tax hikes. Some had experienced slavery. They'd been attacked by the neighbours, and yet they still gave thanks to God. So, here we are. Everything that they've been through so far in the book leads us up to this day of thanksgiving, of dedication, and the people are preparing for a party. Now, when I was younger, I hope my mum's not listening, but I'm pretty sure she will be. Uh, I used to love to have a house parties when my mum would go away on holiday or if she was working nights or something. 
I'd take that opportunity and we'd have a house party and I'd invite all my mates, uh, I'd invite some random people. Um, then the next thing I would do is I'd clean the house. When I say I'd clean the house, what I mean is I'd move anything that could get broke out of the way uh, and then we sort the music out. And I kind of feel like this is what's happening here. You know, they're getting ready for a party. They they bring everyone into the city and then they purify themselves and get the and purify the gates and the walls. Now I don't think this was the same as my house party and me tidying up and moving a few ornaments so they don't get smashed. This wasn't just uh, a quick clean, but I think they were preparing themselves to come into the presence of God. Then they sorted the music out in verse 38 to 39. They got two choirs to go on top of the wall. Um, and when I was younger, I was in the Air Cadets and I was used to be part of the uh, marching band. And we would lead the Remembrance Day parade through the town. Uh, and I remember when we, the, the sound was amazing. Uh, I mean, I'd say that because I was in the band, but whenever we actually marched through the town centre, through all the buildings, the noise as it echoed off all the, all the walls and all the buildings was amazing. It just amplified it so much more. And I get a similar picture when I'm reading this of this amazing noise um, as they were parading around the city. And I get this picture of almost like an ancient surround sound system. As they were as they were marching down so the party starts and they have this great procession around the walls as these two choirs make the way to the top of the walls and I, I just wonder if as they were walking around it was like a reminder to them of what they'd achieved as they walked past parts of the wall that they'd been working on where they'd cracked a joke with a mate or where they'd had to fend off an attack from the, the local neighbouring people. And I think it might have brought back memories of God's faithfulness throughout the whole process of rebuilding the walls. And I don't think it's a coincidence that David's mentioned in terms of music. And I wonder what kind of songs they were singing. And there's this uncanny echo of Psalm 48. And I just want to read a bit of that to you. It says, Mount Zion rejoices. The villagers of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk around Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. And I don't know, but maybe that could have been one of the songs, but I certainly get this sense that they weren't only reminded about what God had done for them in recent times, but also in the past. And these lists of names that are in these passages as well, that give us this sense of this link with the history and their ancestry. And this continuity of the promises God had made and kept and his constant faithfulness to his people. And the people were thankful. And it got me thinking, what makes us thankful? 
Now, my mum always um, taught me to remember my P's and Q's. I still don't tell her that thank you actually starts with a T and not a Q. But So, I'm always thankful when I get table service at McDonald's. And I'm even more thankful when my burger comes with extra gherkins on. But there's a difference between being thankful out of politeness, minding our P's and Q's, and being truly thankful. Now, we were on holiday a couple of years ago, and um, Georgia, my youngest daughter, um, was with us, obviously, but we'd gone to watch um, the sheepdog trial, and Georgia was walking um, in front of us as we were walking in. There was like an open barn that overlooked the, the farmer's field, and Georgia was sort of like in her own world, as she always is, um, oblivious to what's going on around her and she'd tagged on to this family that were walking in front of us and she obviously thought this family was us so we'd we'd spotted this so we just let her walk off been the good parents we are uh, and we went and sat down in our chair and it took absolutely ages and we was like we were creasing we thought it was hilarious and she's even sat next to this family and she's chatting away to them this family are just looking at her like who is this who's this strange kid chatting to us and where are her parents uh, but we just sat and, and watched and found it quite amusing but the moment that George realized that it wasn't us her whole demeanor her expression changed she was suddenly worried so I went straight over to her um, still with a bit of a grin on my face because it was pretty funny um, expecting her to be absolutely in bits and angry and just throwing a tantrum angry at us for leaving her and angry at us for laughing at her but she wasn't she just grabbed me and just said thank you and I think we're truly thankful when we need something that's of true value to us a gift and when this gift is given freely, we can be truly thankful. Now, Georgia needed that reassurance or safety of someone that she knew. And when I gave her that gift without expecting anything in return, she was truly thankful. And I think the people had noticed all these things that God had done for them as they stopped and remembered and celebrated. And as they were doing that, they were truly thankful. And everything leads up to this final verse in, in verse 43 that says, And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. And in one verse... The word joy or rejoice is repeated four times. So they were pretty joyful. And notice it's not just the priests and Levites that are joyful. The women and children are also joyful. This joy is not exclusive. They all experience it. And the noise that they made was loud. It could be heard far away. And just like the love of God is not 
exclusive, it's for everybody. So how can we experience this joy even when we don't feel joyful or even when we're going through tough times? And I think thankfulness is a key to this. Now, I'm not saying that thankfulness is the source of joy. I think it's a key to unlocking it. In the same way that if I have a key to a safe and I open that safe to find a cake, I don't know, I don't know why there's a cake in a safe, but it's not the key that's the source of the cake. The person who baked the cake is the source of the cake. The key only helps me get access to it. And we can see here that God is the source of joy in verse 43. God had given them great joy, but it's thankfulness that helps us access that joy. And whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, I think we can be thankful. That doesn't mean we should be thankful for everything. We can't be thankful for violence or for war or oppression, for the loss of friends or disloyalty. But we can be thankful for lots of things, for every breath we take, for the food we drink, for the food we drink, for the food we eat, for the water we drink, uh, for the children, our friends, our family. I'm also not saying that we should go around with a fake joy, pretending to be thankful. In James, the book of James, he said, consider it pure joy when you go through trials. But notice he says, consider it pure joy. Consider, not wear your happy face and pretend everything is okay. He's not telling us how to feel, but how to think. And if we can do what the people in Nehemiah do and think back to those promises God has made and how he's been faithful constantly. And if you think about it, how much more do we have to be thankful living this side of the cross than they did? And I mentioned earlier that for us to be truly thankful for something, it has to be a gift that we need, a gift that is truly needed and it's freely given. And I think sometimes it's easy to get so consumed in life, in the good things of life and in the bad things, that we forget the gift that we've been given. The gift we have in Christ, the gift of freedom, freedom from sin, from slavery, from addiction. And I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves of the gospel every day, reminding ourselves, reteaching ourselves, preach to ourselves what we have in Christ. But don't come to God seeking happiness. If we seek happiness, we'll never achieve it. In Matthew 6 it says, but seek first the kingdom of happiness. No, no. It says, seek first the kingdom of righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Happiness and joy are a byproduct of seeking and praising and thanking God. They're a natural reaction, like the joy a kid has eating a bowl of ice cream or the joy a parent has seeing the birth of the child. Joy comes from God. And it's cultivated through remembering his constant faithfulness and being thankful for what he's done also cultivates joy. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully 
the dedication with songs of thanksgiving. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. I just want to finish with a bit of a mashup of verses that for me sum up this thankfulness to God. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell you, I will tell your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name. I will give thanks to you, Lord, because of your righteousness. And enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity, we'll see result, will result in thanksgiving to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your, your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he's good, for he's good, his love endures forever. Let me give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. Amen.